Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. We are brought to you by the CoLoop Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. All right, here's part two of the 10 juicy creative tips, tactics, prompts from my favorite 10 podcasts, five of which are part of our new CoLoop podcast network. It's a creative podcast network. Uh, so far, we went through Jealous Curators Art for Your Ear podcast, which is a CoLoop podcast, Small Doses with Amanda Sales. Number three was Wandering Wolf by Yoni Wolf, another Kolu podcast. We talked about Good One by Vulture with Jesse David Fox. And number five, we had Sit There and Do Nothing with Meg Lewis, which is also a Kolu podcast. Here we go. That's back half of the list. Some juicy tips coming at you. Very excited. <laughs> Very excited for you to hear it. Here it is. Number six through 10. Let's do it. podcast and tip number six counting down working our way through this list like the food network what are we talking about do they do that on the food network i think so okay just like the food network number six is and the writer is from ross gallon he is a i'm very interested in songwriters especially ones that i mean i if they do both songwriting and performing you know singer songwriters i'm into that too but I'm especially fascinated by the people that write hits, that write the music for other artists, because it's so much about the value. It's not so much, of it, you know, it has to get into the practice and the craft and, and go beyond some of the intuitive stuff, because you got to be able to repeat it to, you know, to be worth your salt. That's something people say, right? Yeah. Um, I'm glad you're here, because I say a lot of stuff on the show, and I never know whether it's something people say or not. And I can just look to you and say, yeah. Um, okay. You've heard me talk about the show, potentially. I, I, I have, yeah. And and I found it really interesting. It's also in my queue to check out. It's really good. It's really good. Ross Gallon, he writes, uh, he's written a bunch of hits that you've heard, um, but he, he gets people on the podcast. I was listening to, um, this isn't the episode I was going to mention, but there's the people that wrote Let It Go and all the other Frozen songs. There, One of them is the only person to, the youngest person to get the EGOT. Maybe the only person that's done it twice over. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so which is, I think it's Kristen Lopez. Ben, ben Gibbard's been on there. Gwen Stefani. These are some of the big names, but a lot of them are people that you've never heard, but you've heard their songs. The unsung heroes, the, if you will. Oh, damn. That is so fresh. Um, <laughs> that was great. We're um, cutting that out. <laughs> no, I loved it. Um uh, the episode I want to talk about is Jack Antonoff. I'm a huge Jack Antonoff Same. fan. I love Bleachers, but I also just follow his whole thing of writing for people like Taylor Swift and just a fascinating character. Uh, and he really has that craft. And he was also the bassist, I think, or the, or the guitarist in Fun. And great conversation because this guy is a master at his craft. But the thing I want to zero in on is he tells the story of when fun is kind of breaking into the mainstream. And 
Nate Ruiz, I think his name is, who's the lead singer of Fun. What's the what's their hit for people that maybe don't know the band name? I'm blanking. Is it We We Are Young? That sounds I think it's right. We Are Young and Some Nights. They had two big ones. Um, or they had maybe they had a few other ones actually too. Anyway, they had actually been in other bands like the Format, which was like more of an indie band from the, the underground scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how underground it is, but before Fun and when Fun hit in this big way. Nate, he tells a story of how the lead singer started doing all these collaborations with people like Pink and just huge pop stars. And for a minute, he felt kind of like lost. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I, you know, fun. I don't know if we're going to keep making music as this band. Nate kind of found his path. And he said it wasn't until he found his people that everything changed. And he talked about Sarah Barrielis, I think is how you say it. You know the song Brave? I believe he wrote that. Um, and uh, people like Taylor Swift. Uh, it wasn't until he met those folks that – oh, and Carly Rae Jepsen – that he started to come into his own as a songwriter. And I think that there, the tip here is find people with your own – with the same sensibility. There's something about, you know, what you, when I say the word story, I feel like I obviously I say it like 18 times an episode. Um, when I say that, I mean a very particular thing. Funnily enough, like Sophie and I really like working on stories together and we like, uh, you know, working through different aspects. But one of the things that we had to figure out was that that word means different things for us. That's one of the reasons we collaborate really well on it is yeah. that when she says story, she's talking about setting, mood, the you know the richness of individual word choice, all of the details. I'm talking about the exact opposite. Yeah. I'm talking big picture, plot, the armature, the point. You know, the big the journey, the journey. Yeah, the big overarching thing. Uh, and I think that it's really, really, really important. Yeah, to collaborate with people that mean totally different things, have different sensibilities. But it's really, really important that you make friends with people who value the exact same thing so that when you're deep within something and you can't see it anymore, you can send it to them and they can, with their body, just determine whether it's hitting, you know, the uh, what's the little gold thing that you do on the beach with the gold? You're looking for gold with the... <laughs> Oh, You're I didn't know what you metal meant. Detector. Metal detector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. internal thing, where the spidey sense. That's a, that's actually um, what they talk about on Good One Podcast, the, the com- comedic spidey sense of how you know something's funny. Like when you're deep within a project, you lose sight of it. You can't feel it anymore. You're not, I don't know. Is there any gold here? You need those. You need to find your people. It is so essential uh, to, the, to the creative journey to have those people alongside you. Know, you know, and that's interesting because I think – while this podcast isn't on the podcast network, um, that idea of surrounding yourself with like-minded um, creatives or, or just people in general is what we really took to heart when we formed the agency um, and had, I think is the key to the success of what we're building. So. 100%. We, I mean, how many conversations did we talk about? Not just should these people be on the roster, but before that. What does it mean to be a co-loop artist? What yeah. are the who are our people? And define those by really defining core values, um, and, and that's about defining sensibility. And so, find what do you care about? Find those people. Search until you find people that like the exact same thing about a particular song or picture or movie, and then 
you know, pass stuff back and forth it is completely a, a game changer. Um, yeah, great, great show. Not a co-loop show, but And the Writer Is, is what it's called by Ross Gallant. I'm going to check it out. Number seven, moving right along. What podcast did you bring us? This is an this is a Kolu podcast. Uh, proud to say, this is you are a storyteller with Jesse Bryan of the Belief Agency and uh, also of the Belief Agency story expert Brian McDonald, author of the book Invisible Ink, which I'm about halfway through. I'm about a third of the way through myself. I've you know I've read a bunch of books on story. It's my passion. I'm obsessed with it. I didn't it. know. Shut up. <laughs> uh, this is, I think, the best book I've ever read on story. And uh, I'm not just saying that because they're on the, uh, you know, I, we love this podcast. Yeah. Uh, we've, I love all the stuff that Brian's had to say about it. You know, whenever I start reading a new book on story, I'm always kind of like, you know, bracing myself for like, is, is it, is, is this person's definition of story going to be different to mine? They're not going to like the kind of same things. Could not be more the opposite. This book is, has like supercharged my passion for story. Um, highly recommend going and checking out that, but definitely dive into You Are a Storyteller. They talk about all the concepts from the book in, and break them down in a bunch of episodes. Yeah, I think both of us are are really big fans of the podcast and, and followers of what Brian has been doing, you know, with his books and teaching story, the idea of the armature, which we may get into. Um, yeah. And I think that's what makes it so exciting to, to you know, have them on board of this, the network and joining us with you, our storyteller. 100%. And in fact, we are going to talk about armature from episode one uh, of the, you are a storyteller podcast. Armature is the term that Brian uses. I think a lot of uh, filmmakers and, and storytellers use the word theme. Uh, he uses the word armature because he he likens it to the armature of a sculpture, which is kind of the skeleton. And the reason he uses that, he says, like, you take a phrase and this is everything you build on has to come back to this central idea of a story. And he goes through um, why that is. And it's so moving. The book's called Inv Invisible Ink. The idea here is that story is all this stuff that you're only aware of subconsciously, but without it, it's a bad story. And you know it intuitively. Uh, and so armature is one of those techniques that makes a story great that most people don't even realize is there. You and I went and saw um, back when this was uh, legal uh, <laughs> uh, um, Endgame, Avengers Endgame. We all like, you know, Ryan and I are both, you know, fans of Marvel, be it, you know, whatever it is. But in game, I remember watching this and being like, every single story has the same point. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it just, when, uh, anyway, I'm like, I'm, look, I'm not going to go into the story aspect. This isn't a story podcast. You want that? Go check out You Are a Storyteller. But I want to bring it back but, to creativity. Well, and I think to your point, because of the armature, because of them building the movie around the successful framework skeleton, and it, that is what made it so effective and emotional, and we both cried. So it was 100%. It worked. Yes. It, it's stories that work is what yeah. he's talking about. Now, I'm going to relate this to why you as a creative – should be 
on a creative journey to find your armature or theme of your career that bleeds through everything that you make. And, uh, and I want to get to that in a second, but just to explain the concept a little bit in the book. Um, and I think they might use some of these examples in the podcast too. They talk about, uh, wizard of Oz, ET and, um, iron giant. That's what it's called. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and, and they, he just tells you what the theme is. And every single time Brian does this, every time Brian points out an armature of a great story, and it's this invisible ink, invisible thing. It almost makes me cry because I'm like, of course it is. Oh yeah. my gosh. Wizard of Oz. I've mentioned this on the show. I've cited Brian a bunch of times, actually. The point of Wizard of Oz is you already have everything you need. You have it at home. It's already there. She has the ruby red slippers the whole time. The scarecrow has the brain, da 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 da, so on and so forth. Every character comes to realize that thing. And the thing I take, I take away something different, something I think about a lot is that when you're out on your life journey, on your creative journey to find what your special tech talent is or what you have to add to the world, you're not looking for something you don't have. You're looking, you are searching but you're searching for yourself for what's already there. And there's just something about that I love. Um, but he does it for ET where he talks about Elliot is uh, learning to uh, put other people's needs above his. So he wants ET to stay yeah. because that makes him happy. But really loving ET means that he wants what's best for ET. And you're like, Boom! It's awesome. And he goes through all the different ways. Um, Iron Giant's similar. We won't go through all of them. It's not the story podcast. You go check that story podcast out. But I started seeing that artists that really started to come into their own start to develop their their creative armature. Uh, I'll talk about at least two people. Oliver Jeffers. I'm a big fan. Picture book maker. I kind of named his armature as Zooming Out. And you see this in his mechanics, like he plays with scale a lot, he, you know, whether that's zooming out on the globe or zooming out of the difference between a, a, a little human next to a giant whale. Like he, he always plays with that, but it's almost always about like all of your problems, they come from you being so close to the page. Yeah. Zoom that's out. Great. And, and you just, and I think that's a, that's even a tip of just go to your favorite artist and try to figure out. What is the th armature? I have another one. I w Look, I know I don't know if either of us are fans of <laughs> Kanye now. Uh, I don't know. It's complicated. What it a complicated mess. Um, but as a person, I'm rooting for you, man. I know he listens to this show. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you what I think. Uh, as someone who, at least back in the day, listened to a lot of Kanye, I think his armature is about centralizing the periphery. I feel like almost always... He's taking like the outsider's view and trying to bring it to the center. And I feel like it's gotten him to a, into a lot of trouble, but I think that's just what he's always doing. He's always looking at the fringe, yeah. fringe fashion stuff, fringe art movements, fringe political things, whatever. But that, I think that's, that, I think that's what he does. That is his armature. That's what excites him and drives him and is the result of all of his creative output for yeah, good or bad. For yeah. good or bad. Yeah. And so- Anyway, highly recommend it. They do an episode about how storytelling is essential to any career, 
uh, which definitely applies to creativity. They they apply it to even if you're not writing story, even if you're not especially into story, learning how to storytell has changed the way that I approach meetings, talks, podcasts, everything. Um, and he also had Frank Oz on the show. And I don't need to say a must listen, else. listen yeah. to episode for sure. Yeah, and I and I would I would just underline that they they practice what they preach, right? They implement this idea of story and arbiter in everything they do, regardless of the podcast or the agency or you know books, speaking, everything. It all it all comes back to story and and hearing them talk about it in in that way and really getting into the weeds and dissecting what they mean by that is it, it has been a game changer. Yeah, love it. You are a storyteller. Jesse Bryan. Podcast Network. Brian McDonald. Podcast Network. Okay, so we're working through tips from some of your favorite podcasts, and now we're on number eight. Number eight. The uh, It's a special number. Just I feel like we're, I just realized that, that we're on TRL, <laughs> yeah. but for podcasts, yeah. and it's only based on your request. Did you know he has a uh, Carson Daly has a Sunday countdown show on the radio? I heard it because my kids are forcing me to play the radio now. They're at that's that strange. stage. It's called the Daily Download. Okay. okay. Anyway, that's really important. No, it's podcast not. number eight is Carson is... Daly. Um, no, it's not. Um, number eight is working it out. With Mike Birbiglia, you know, I am a huge Mike Birbiglia fan. He's one of the only creators kind of doing what I hope to do over my career, which is kind of, it's not stand-up comedy. I would never want to do that. He's more of a stand-up comic than I'll ever want to be. But his storytelling and his one-man shows, all that kind of stuff, that's my thats my jam. You know mm-hmm. that. Listeners know that. This podcast is for that reason, and for many others, one of my favorites right now. You know, I think um, uh, they break down storytelling a lot, but they're, he's usually talking with another comedian. It's called Working It Out because they're working out material together, which I just love that so much. It's not like there's no other place where you find that. That's and I love – they'll like read a bit that they're working on and then like hash it out. The part – I'm not going to talk about Pete Holmes, that episode. That's not the one I'm bringing up. But on that one, the stuff they, – they add – they tag so many super funny bits like right in person live. And it's just – oh, man, it's so satisfying. But – um, he has Ira Glass on there, who's like a mentor of his, and they hash out a bunch of really cool stuff about story. None of those are the ones I'm talking about. You know what's interesting about that? We mentioned earlier that um, comedy is not necessarily my thing, but I do seek out and consume a lot of content by Paul Shear, mm-hmm. um, his various podcasts and other things. Um, and he has a weekly show on Twitch with another improv comedian, um, Rob Hubel. And a lot of what they're doing is just improving on Twitch, live on camera, working out bits and just seeing where things go. And it sounds a little bit similar to what you're describing. Yeah. And the the episode I'm talking about is with David Sedaris, who I love David Sedaris. Um, and, uh, and, and it's about writing on stage, which we've talked about, but there's a new aspect of it that I want to, that came out okay. in uh, the episode with David Sedaris. Um, and part of what we're talking about with working it out is something I try to try to get myself on a daily basis to a, a Carson daily basis. Um, to, 
<laughs> to, uh, yeah, um, to get myself to embrace, which is uh, to, to write on stage, to not sit on ideas. It's so, this is such a creative instinct is to just keep it secret until it's perfect. Mm -hmm. And there's just something about that is so unproductive. I feel like things never become their best unless you work it out in real time a bit. You know, most of the time, only your true fans are following at a level where they're actually picking up on every single thing that you do. You've And so the point of this is you've got to find what working it out, what writing on stage means for you. Can I'll just... Writing on stage, yeah. it, what it means, if you haven't heard me talk about it, if you ever heard another comic or oh, another comic, damn it. I just called You're myself. You're a comic, yeah. I'm not a comic. Um, You're not funny. <laughs> um, never. Um, but what, writing on stage is this idea that you're making up material while you're uh, performing it. You're not, you're not, you're, you're not separating the creative process to this is when I'm creating it. This is when I'm putting it out there. You're doing it at the same time. Mm. And there's just something about doing it in real time, getting live audience feedback in whatever medium you do that allows you to figure out what's good, what's bad, what's, what's stuff that you know is good, but you haven't figured out how to convince them. You haven't figured out the mechanical way of transferring what you love about it into the audience. That was a big thing um, for all kinds of pieces of my um, practice. Um, and the reason I bring up this episode is uh, a lot of the pushback I get on, I will, you know, I reference filmmakers, I reference musicians, I'll, I'll take creative inspiration and, and, and insight on the creative journey and process from anywhere. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've found over time is that creators will get stuck when I give a suggestion that's not from their medium. And they'll say, oh, writing on stage is great for comedians, but I'm a magician. Or I'm a, yeah, it yeah. doesn't, you know, I can't do that. And um, and this episode with David Sedaris, although he is technically a comedian, he's actually a comedy writer. And the, the tip is find out what writing on stage means for you, even if nobody does it in your industry. As an illustrator, I do it with every episode art that I make is writing on stage for our calendar at the end of the year. Like it all makes it into the comedy special of my calendar, <laughs> right? And a bunch of stuff falls to the cutting room floor. Stuff that there's always, because you're experimenting, you're trying new things. There's always episode art looking back one year later. I'm like, good God, that is ugly. I well, hate it. Yeah. And just to interject really quick, you mentioned like the calendar being the comedy special, right? It's all writing on stage leading to that. But what's super interesting from my perspective, watching you write on stage is it leads to all this other thing opportunity or avenues, things that you didn't foresee happening because you're experimenting and you're putting things out into the world and you're, you know, developing it that in real time, you'll, you can get the attention of a brand or a client. You end up working on a campaign that was inspired by this piece you created that is never going to see another life beyond that, but it, it triggered something and that, that process can, can merit those kind of things. Yeah. I say, and there's only one person I know of that I think has all the right in the world to sit on the ball, so to speak, you know, you know, this idea in basketball, like if you're up and the clock is ticking, like there's an idea of like, just hold on to the ball. Don't pass it. Don't do nothing. You just let the clock run. The only person I think that can do that is Beyonce. That's why you can do Lemonade is because everyone is waiting. Everyone's like, show what's next. Most creators will never in their lifetime get in a place where everyone is literally waiting. Like 
just just generate, just write, just make it. And I'm going to get back to David Sedaris and why that's the well, point. I have another yeah. great example of writing on stage, I think, but it, it's a little bit in the Beyonce camp too. So yeah. I don't know if I'm going to contradict myself. Okay. And that is Stephen King. Right. Obviously, he's a mastermind. He's a world-class writer, you know, probably the most prolific writer of our lifetime. But he, not all of his books are great. I mean, some of them are hits and some of them are misses. Some of them don't work for certain people. But that doesn't stop him from writing. Yes. He's turning out so many books a year. He's writing on stage. And he'll pull ideas from previous books and themes and the way he structures a villain or an armature to talk about a story and use that in another book. It reminds me of uh, the movie Parasite that everybody – it sounds too scary for me to watch. It is on my list. I'm, I'm going to psych myself into it's watching it. It's not scary. I <laughs> – are you sure? I'm sure. Okay, I'm going to try to watch it. But he, I've heard him talk about how this is virtually a remake of a previous movie in terms of theme and a bunch of the ideas. And I, the Stephen King is such a great example because uh, he, uh, there. I think all creators know that there are things that you make that are just an organic expression of like it. The song wrote itself. Like I, the, there's illustrations that I did, and I just it just happened yeah. and I don't even know exactly how it happened and it gets the best response and I love it the most. Everybody wants that. But the problem with that is when you go back to the page the next day and the problem is, isn't that you shouldn't be making stuff that doesn't happen like that, is that those images, those pieces come from the fertilizer of all the crap. Yeah. What you, you did, to, yes. what you did the 12 times before it that you're not cataloging because this one time it was great. And the thing that you have to, and the reason that's so essential is when when you're in the middle of making something and it's not working, this is the inspiration you need to keep going. Because you're like, look, not every one of these Stephen King books is going to be turned into a movie and be a classic in our culture. You just have to be like, yeah. But I heard um, Mary Carr, who we're going all over the place, but I love it. Uh, Mary Carr uh, wrote a book, The Art of the Memoir. And she was really struggling with one of the, one of her memoirs. And at some point she just realized like, oh, all of my favorite authors have written terrible books. This is my, this is my terrible book. <laughs> this is my, and I'm just going to get to the end of it. And I'm sure it ended up being special to her in a different way. Yeah. But you, I think you got to put, you got to publish crap. Or being, I, I, I'm a big supporter. Or that. being special, even, even if it wasn't to her. Being special to someone else. 100%. Right? Like not everyone has the favorite Stephen King book. Or not sometimes – yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Or their favorite Beyonce song, right? Like even the things that you create while writing on stage, back to that brand idea, it, it might it might not have clicked in every way for you, but it can for someone else. And the other thing that ends up happening, just like what you said of it leading to something else, like a brand campaign with this client or what – you know, all these things that you can't foresee. Sometimes you're just working in the way that you know how and that idea actually wanted to be something else. Like there's things I make and I put it out there and I'm like, I don't know if this is a podcast episode. This actually might be a class. It might be a book. It might be something else. But I'm just going to put it out there. And then sometimes someone hears that, that knows what it should be, that has the power to give you permission to do it, yeah. hears it, and then cast you in something you never expected. Right. So I, I'm all for it. Anyway, back to the episode, circling all the way back. David Sedaris, he's not a stand-up comic. He is a comedy writer. He writes comedy books. And the, But the weird thing that he does where he found writing on stage in a place where it didn't exist is that when he does his book tour, he talks about in this episode, he doesn't read from the book he's touring. He reads from his next book. And he literally crosses stuff out, adds stuff in real time. 
of course his audience is loving it because if they're fans, they want to hear the yeah. new stuff. And I'm like, what I love about that is that is a prime example of somebody saying, uh, no one in my industry does that to bring it full circle and saying, that's exactly why you should do it. So I, I'm telling you right now, I don't care if you make, if you crochet, uh, you know, dog, dachshund doilies, you know, the <laughs> Sure. Uh, I don't, I don't know is. what you're talking about, that, but that was a great alliteration. <laughs> but, so. Yeah, I know you're a fan of that. I don't care what you make. Find a way to make it in such a way where you're giving it to your audience before it's perfect mm -hmm. and learn from it. You know, write all those blog posts and, and the one that takes off, turn into the book. Like get, put it out there and get that feedback. I love it. Remind everyone what the podcast's name is. It's called Working It Out with Mike Birbiglia. Huge, huge, huge fan of that show. Free plug, subscribe. Yep. All right, we're to number nine, the finale of our list, which it isn't really because we have a 10th tip, but number nine is the final podcast on the podcast network. Yeah, and I could not be more excited by process of elimination. Have you figured out what it is? I, I have, but the audience hasn't. You tell us then. This podcast is from artist and poet Morgan Harper Nichols. Yeah! Uh, we're huge fans uh, at Coloop of Morgan Harper Nichols. She's been on the show. Uh, we are consumers of her content through Instagram Absolutely. and elsewhere. Um, the There's something, I feel like everybody that knows Morgan has a sense that she's somehow tapped in at a different level. Uh, and, and I think everybody can feel that. And it comes through in her podcast. She's kind of, she's been exploratory kind of in that kind of phase for a while. Um, recently, she's kind of hit a, uh, a, a, like a groove where she's interviewing people all the time. Yeah, doing she's in the zone. She's <laughs> yeah. in the zone right now. She's been producing a crazy amount of mostly shorter conversations with friends, um, artists, uh, hairstylists, all kinds of people um, that inspire her, really interesting folks. And the episode I wanted to pull out is with an artist named Lynn Guinta. Um, are you familiar with Lynn, perhaps? Um, the name is ringing a bell, but... Yeah, uh, Lynn is a artist at Hallmark and also produces a bunch of like really great kind of collage -y lettering stuff on Instagram. And I've actually followed her for a long time before I heard this episode. Um, but this episode really, it was such a good break from my brain. And I think that that's one of the things that I love about Morgan, her her work and, and also her podcast is, although I feel like we come to a lot of similar conclusions about life and creativity, I think the way that we get there is so different that, you know, I think people listen to this show to get hyped most of the time. Yeah. That, and that's my energy. Um, and almost... I, it's almost like the antidote to that. When you need to come down, I feel like you you can go to I mean, Morgan. that's an interesting way to, way to put it, but yeah, I can see that. She's the the yin to your yang or something. She She's the very nice compliment to what you bring on Creative Pep Talk. And and right, there's a lot of heartfelt, there's a lot of emotional things there, but it's, it's, it's in a different wavelength. I think in the way that um, 
sometimes mine's pretty cerebral in terms of like uh, idea, you know, g- trying to find some way- mindset of thinking that really gets you jacked uh, on creativity. That's that's kind of how I approach it. And listening to her podcast, listening to this episode, I just felt like instead of being super jazzed about creativity, I felt relaxed about it in a way that I needed. Yeah. And the, the, the tip that I took away was this kind of visualization that Morgan talked about how she approaches creativity sometimes when she's stuck. And she said she would think of herself in the past when she was in college. She was in a particularly difficult time where social stuff was not working. Uh, and in her room, she had no artwork hanging on the walls. And she imagines, what art do I wish was on young Morgan's walls that would have encouraged her and inspired her and made her feel uh, comforted in this time. And what I I just freaking love the idea of using past you as a potential target market. Yeah, uh, I love that. It, you know who that sounds like? Who? You. <laughs> I feel like it's again. It's a it's a conclusion that I feel like we've both come to. Yeah. But I feel like we came to it in totally different ways. And the target is so different. Like I – go ahead. And how you express that is completely different, right? It is. And I think – you know, I, I always uh, – I am a big fan of getting really, really clear on who is this stuff for. But I feel like in terms of hijacking your own taste and really getting into – I think there's two things that – making for past you does. One is it gets you really intimately connected to your own personal taste and gets you creating from that place, which is really important. Um, But the other thing that it does is I think one thing that happens is when you're making for your heroes, which I think happens a lot for creators, you just feel like, what's the point? There are people that I know that do the kinds of things that I do at a much higher level. And sometimes when I go to make and I'm thinking, not not consciously, I'm never consciously thinking, I'm going to impress that person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't even think they're going to see it. But the, but like, I want to be in the ring with them. I go to make it. I'm like, I literally shouldn't make this yeah. because they're already making stuff in this vein at such a higher level that it, what's the point? And it's easy to self-sabotage before you even get started. But there's something about I'm smarter than old me. The past me is so right. much more immature. It's not even ready for the stuff. I, like, you know, I lately I feel like I don't know if I'm growing up. <laughs> I don't know if this is true, but Built to Spill and Radiohead like is like doing it for me in ways that it never has. And I'm like – Am I just growing old? Like I've been watching a lot of movies that are based on true stories, which I never – Oh, that doesn't sound like Andy. And I'm like, what's happening? I'm growing up and I'm very afraid. But um, there's something about like I can make stuff that wows past Andy. I know I can do that and I know that I can can light up that taste. Um, And it just gives you a target. They they also said – Lynn said that she – almost everything she makes is – like something she wants to say to a specific friend. Yeah. Uh, and I just feel like there's something about the specificity of the target that's manageable. Whereas when you're going to make something, you're like, I want everyone to like this, or I want my heroes to like this. Both of those are non-starters when you're trying to get that creative engine running. Lauren Hom, co-loop artist, she very much takes that same approach. I think with her work in terms of her passion projects, she's creating those out of a place of like, 
what inspires me? What am I really excited about? Is it merging creativity and cooking? Is it painting murals? Is it, you know, coming up with fun lettering puns or putting bread on my head? Like whatever, any number of her passion projects, right? But her lipness test for that is she comes up with an idea or she creates a piece and then she shares it in the group text with all of her friends. Yes. Like, is this also doing it for you? Uh, and I think that's kind of what you're describing there. As yeah. Well. And it's a, a similar harkens back to the Jack Antonoff thing. It all fits together of finding your people and yeah. similar sensibilities to kind of riff on. Uh, I was going to say, you know, earlier I joked about how I hate hated pictures last week. <laughs> and I did. I went through a week where I was like, I don't remember why I make pictures. I, I just don't get it. I don't know why. What, why do I care? And I actually think. It was fall. I don't want to go down this rabbit mm-hmm. hole in a ma- massive way, but I think it was probably a little bit of the ripple effect of the NFT thing, of the crypto art thing. Okay. I just think that there was something that happens uh, um, when you're making. It's easy to fall into the fear of I'm going to get left behind in something, right? Yeah. And and it makes you. Um, it, you start thinking about creating from a place of scarcity and, and fear. And it all of a sudden doesn't become very fun. Now, that didn't really happen with crypto art. I'm not interested in it. it I'm happy for other people to make a killing as long as you know it works out, whatever. Right. I know there's a bunch of complications. We can't go there right now. But, but I realized that, oh, I actually am always uh, – I'm still interested in, in my own way. I'm still curious in my own way. And I know I don't even have to be afraid about – falling behind or getting stale as long as I create space for that curiosity and that, and, and, and bringing it back to what we're talking about is pleasing your own taste. It's just making sure you stay excited about it. That's the, if you're going to be afraid, that's the only thing to be afraid of is when you do not care anymore and you're not doing your stuff. Isn't doing it for you anymore. Um, 1000%. That's it. Morgan highly recommend everything she does podcast she's working on is super excited and we could not be more thrilled to have her as part of the group right her podcast her art her poetry the books you know she has coming out the books she works on all of that it's it's super inspiring and i think she's a perfect fit for co-loop and the podcast network yeah and we've just loved having meetings with her and just spending time uh chatting so we're pumped pumped to have her We have reached the summit. We're on top tip number 10. Okay. Uh, This was great. Thanks for doing this. First of all, I'm just, I'm like, uh, I don't know, really excited about this episode. There's something, some kind of chemistry here. (laughs) We should make, we should start something together. Like a movie podcast. I don't, I don't know if this was great. I don't know if it's any good. I think it is. I'm just kidding. I know uh, there were a lot of very val- valuable and insightful tips. And plus, we got to share all about the Kulu Podcast Network. Uh, but let's round it out with the 10th podcast on this okay, list. Okay. So I feel like, um, am I surprised, people, that we end with this one? But the takeaway is is so juicy for me. Um, so this is the Tim Ferriss Podcast. Uh, I think maybe some people are surprised that this goes on a list of creative podcasts. But... Uh, more than maybe anybody, uh, does Tim's approach to deconstructing top performers 
really, really get into the nitty gritty. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily uh, dive into the Seinfeld episode, although I highly recommend it. Anybody that is a fan of comedy. I knew you were going to say that. Okay. But it's not the one I'm going <laughs> to quote, but it is fantastic. And actually, you ever see that uh, infamous interview uh, Larry King did with Seinfeld? No, but why is it infamous? Uh, it's infamous because Larry King is like, so did you guys get canceled? or And, and he's like, we were the top show of all time. We didn't get canceled. And they're like, and he's like, he's like, do you know who I am? Like, are you aware who's on the show right now? Like, and it's awkward and weird. It's all kinds of bad, but, um, but you can't look away. It's a car crash. Um, and whatever, like Tim Ferriss is the opposite of that. Like, and, and you can tell that Jerry Seinfeld is, feels very like seen and appreciated in it. Um, which is kind of beside the fact of the reason why, which is Tim is just granular. He makes people go back. He dives deeper. Yeah. He's so in, and, and you know, I think um, Tim is a, is cut from a very different cloth than me. I'm not a I'm not a top. I performer. tend to agree. Yeah. Yeah. And not I, because you're not a top performer. You're just different. Well, not physically. Not you know. I'm not the. Uh, he's he he's a like a Harvard grad and a and an athlete and all. It's just a bunch of stuff that I'm not. And I think he appeals to a pretty different crowd. But his approach to interviews. I don't catch every one, but the ones that I do, especially with the, the people that I'm a big fan of, just do it for me. And my, and why I had to put it on the list, you've heard me talk about this, is that maybe my favorite episode of any podcast ever, <laughs> just a huge statement, is his interview with Hugh Jackman. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I always, I never disliked Hugh Jackman, but I never, I, I never thought, oh, I'm especially a fan of this character. Um, I think there's probably personal reasons why I relate to that episode so much is um, he he has a similar upbringing to me. His dad's kind of a type A person. His mom flew the coop early on. And also raised in Australia. Also, you know, me putting, I, don't, <laughs> I was going to say an Australian stereotype. We'll just go right yeah. around that. Um, and, uh, I, but it meant so much to me. But the part of it, the takeaway that I think is a, a creative prompt, a creative career uh, thought experiment that is really powerful is he talked about the chariots of fire. And do you remember – we've talked about this a little we bit. We have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he talks about how in that movie – um, there's a missionary sister to this Olympic runner. And she's like, you need to get back to God's work. Quit messing around running. Like you go come on this missionary trip with me and let's do stuff that's actually important. And, and the runner says to her, uh, I'm going to get to that. And basically I can't explain why running matters. But all I can say is I feel God's joy when I'm running. And I think that when it comes to creativity, there is a part of it that just feels so <sighs> worthless, feels so like um, a nice to have, you know, uh, frivolous is the word. Yeah. And I think all creators feel that. I think uh, as you're making stuff, you always are going to get to a point, especially when the world goes through the kind of crap that we've been through over the past year. It is so easy to get into that mindset of, why don't I do something that actually matters? And it reminds me of the quote of, you know, we don't need 
um, more people asking what the world needs. We need people that ask what makes them come alive because we need more alive people. You know, and I, I think that's something even you and I wrestled with um, in terms of creative pep talk earlier in 2020 or, you know, mid lockdown is, is this something we should be doing? Like, sh- should the podcast center on something more important than creative career and strategy? Should it be talking about the pandemic or should this be, you know, the escape or the reprieve from what's going on in the world? And we had to have those conversations as well. And it, and it goes back to the, I bet every creator knows this one, but I think we, it's always a good one to refresh your mindset with, which is the, um, there's no real actual evidence that Churchill said this, but, uh, <laughs> but this idea of like, we've got to cut the arts funding. And he's like, then if we do that, what are we fighting for? Yeah. And I do think that art to me makes life worth living. It is the thing. It's my armature, which is say yes to life. It's the reason I want to stick around. And, uh, and, and, and as a prompt, as a tip, I think it's worthwhile sitting around and thinking about when do I feel God smiling? When do I, even if you're not, a, if you're atheist, theist, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. When do you just feel the universe uh, feeling at one? What are you doing? And how can you do more of that? Uh, even if you can't explain why it's important. And I wanted to I feel like it's full circle because at the start we talked about um, Wayne White and coping mechanisms as creativity and what is the stuff you do that is your coping mechanism? It's just your fun. And I thought this was a good place to end so that I can throw this back on you. Okay. When do you feel that in your work with creatives? Oh, that's interesting. You know, the easiest thing to say would probably be, you know, once the project is out the door and we have this, the campaign we've worked on or the product or... Uh, the content has launched and it's out in the world. So like when the baby's been born, but I think I find the most joy when we're in the weeds, mm. um, with, not to pat myself on the back, but I think is what makes me good at my job. And just in terms of like those finer points of like, not only negotiating contracts, which I know most people don't find fun, but like being the facilitator to which this creative work can happen. Like when we're in the middle of that, that's the exciting part for me. Like, we're in our second round of revisions and I'm seeing all of these creative puzzle pieces start to come together and form what it will be. And the artist is excited by it and the client is excited by that potential. That's, I think that's where my joy comes from. Yeah. You always, you find a lot of joy in achieve the, the complicated goal of achieving um, both the client and the artist's goals. Yeah. And when that clicks, that's always really satisfying. But, one of the things that as you're talking, I realized that I think the Venn di- diagram of you and I, why we saw this overlap in, in passion and values was we both love helping creatives reach a target. Before we just jumped on this recording, I'm not going to tell details, but y- you solidified a deal for an artist that was exactly what they wanted. Yeah, it what was the they target. Needed. It was the bullseye. They yeah. hit the bullseye. And I see it in you. You know, last week we were preparing for this episode. I think we were both reviewing podcasts, listening, diving in, getting lost in other people's practices. 
And I think we were both getting choked up <laughs> about yeah. helping these creatives hit their targets that we believe in, like just adding the little things that we can give. Yeah. I mean, I literally said to you, um, as we were talking about planning for this week, like listening to these podcasts, uh, it reaffirmed, like it gave me this moment of like, this is the reason we do what we're doing. That's exactly it. And I felt the same thing. And I uh, just just diving into um, all these podcasts, both on the list and not, I just, there's nothing like seeing a creative reach their potential. And I've seen for other people that don't get to see behind the scenes, you know, when we're in meetings, we're not going to be crying our eyes out <laughs> and, you know, high-fiving. So I don't think even the artists always see how deeply you care about helping them get where they want to go. I mean, I, I, I hope that to some extent they do know, I try to express that as much as I, I can. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's the, it's certainly the underlying motivation and everything. Yeah. And I, and I'm, and uh, just to close it out, I hope that, you know, this whole giving what you didn't get, even if you don't have a podcast on the network, even if you don't have, even if you're not represented by Coloop, we're hoping to change cultures uh, with these ideas that, that end up rippling out and, and, and affecting um, all creatives and, and helping them reach their, their potential. Yeah, we've started with the Artist Management Agency, building a foundation from there on these ideals. We're now launching the podcast network built around the same kind of creative philosophy. It is a creative podcast network, and then who knows what the future is going to hold. Awesome. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, Andy. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thanks to Ryan Appleton for co-hosting and, and assistance with the show. Thanks to Sophie Pizza for content assistance and uh, always having my back. Thanks to Jordan Aaron for editing the show so beautifully. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.